Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live has a sister podcast, FitLab PGH. Today's interview for Moving to Live comes from an interview we originally did for FitLab PGH. We talked to Kelly Kuhn, a physical therapist who's doing something a little bit new and different or atypical. She's reaching out and starting telemed, specializing in working with active individuals, especially runners. I think you'll enjoy the interview. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen to. And now, Kelly Kuhn. Back with another podcast episode. We are back in Reginald's Coffee, a new coffee shop in the South Hills of Pittsburgh in Bethel Park, right off South Park Road. I think I first became aware of today's guest when I went to the Upper St. Clair Track and Cross Country uh, running conference that was put together by the head track and cross country coach at Upper St. Clair High School. We are here with Kelly Kuhn, physical therapist, who is currently a clinical physical therapist who is shortly setting out on her own to do telephysical therapy that we talk about. As she described to me when we were chatting before starting the interview, she is an outpatient physical therapist, so she's not the type of physical therapist who's in a hospital in an acute setting. She wants to get people moving more and moving better, really setting the ethos of FitLab Pittsburgh. Movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. So Kelly, thanks for taking time to talk to FitLab PGH. Thanks for having me today. I think the first question we always ask for FitLab PGH, although we'll probably also air this on Moving to Live, because I think as we talked before, telemedicine, whether it's for physicians or physical therapy or health coaching, whatever you call it, is something that's pretty common now. It's growing, and the internet has really made it possible. 
So my first question always is, Pittsburgh native? If so, why are you still here? If not, how the heck did you end up in Pittsburgh? <laughs> well, I am not a Pittsburgh native. I'm a native Floridian. Um, I moved out of Florida for a job into Maryland where I met my husband, who is a Pittsburgh native. And as I hear is customary, they all have to bring their spouses back to make them Pittsburghers. Um, so I'm here now, and I love it here. I love the weather, the people. I'm, uh, I'm, you, you kind of won me over, Pittsburgh. I'm here. And I think one of the things I like about Kelly, even though I just met her, is she's like me when I said I didn't like Florida when I lived there. I hated the weather. She was like, yeah, I hate the weather too, especially when it's warm. So I think we're kindred spirits with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Always curious when somebody enters a specific field. Like uh, my initial career was going to be an athletic trainer at a small college somewhere out west. And the way I found out about that is I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough in high school to sprain an ankle. And the coach said, this was before you had athletic trainers in the high school, you need to go to this sports medicine clinic and have them help you. And I met the owner who was a uh, physical therapist and athletic trainer. I said, what the heck is an athletic trainer? And that's what my original career was. So how did you settle on, I'm going to be a physical therapist? Well, I think you might have just described my story. <laughs> I... I was an athlete. I played volleyball, basketball, softball. Basketball was my, my favorite sport. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to be with athletes some way. Um, so I, in sixth grade, my mom still has a poster of me doing what do you want to do when you grow up. And I was physical therapist or sports medicine. Um, but I also, in high school, I broke an ankle, went to physical therapy, was like, this looks really cool. I think I'd really like it. And just went from there to uh, PT school right after high school. Um, and, you know, it, it, I started with athletes, um, but then I moved to everybody. And I've, so it kind of was all about being the athlete and getting moving for them. But now I've kind of worked, you know, made that go to everybody, you know. And I think one of the dirty little secrets if somebody's a student or somebody's maybe a young professional is the number of physical therapists or the number of athletic trainers, if they're outside of the high school or college setting, or even the number of, and I'm putting this in air quotes, sports medicine doctors who deal with athletes is relatively small. It's really hard to actually have your clientele just that unless you specialize in one thing and happen to, I think, probably not only be good, but also have a lot of luck. I think you have to, you have to, I was lucky enough to get chosen for an internship in one of my rotations in PT school where I was able to work with athletes, which then led me to getting the job at a clinic in Florida that worked with athletes. And the other secret is I was in Florida where there's no state income tax. So a lot of athletes call it home because if you're not in a state, if they're with the team, they're with the team. So you have to get with the team, which is extremely hard to do. So the Especially as a female. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there was, in Florida, there's what we usually worked with were, were athletes that were in their off season or came home after an injury. Um, occasionally, if there was an issue with a team trainer or something like that and the doctor was mad they would get to us but majority of it was not that it was just they're there and they're away from their team so that's where we get to work with them and that when I left Florida wasn't an option anymore which is how I ended up working with runners because runners are everywhere and they're and so it gave me a way to expand to working with everybody but to keep some of that competitive edge going and I know one of the things I need to do is start saving things longer than when I just skimmed through them. But within the last 
week or two weeks, I think I read a summary of a study that of runners preparing for a marathon, something like 90% will have some sort of an injury. And their definition of injury was something that causes them to miss one or more days of training. It doesn't necessarily mean it's something that's like, okay, you can't run anymore. But I think that's pretty incredible. I mean, you think about football, you think about rugby, you think about cheerleading and gymnastics as being these high injury risk sports. And I suspect if you looked at it uh, just across the spectrum of ages, you'd probably find the group of athletes that gets the most injuries is probably runners. Yes. I, I know. I'm not sure about the study of the marathon, but overall runners, just runners in general, over 80% will have some sort of injury over the course of their career. And with runners, you're looking more at those, you know, nagging overuse injuries, not so much like the ACLs or concussions or you know, those things happen from time to time, but they're rare. It's usually just that, hey, your body's working hard and it, and it wears, wears, I don't even want to say wears down. That's a bad term. It's just tired. Um, and there's so much we can do to manage that and still run. You know, I think a lot of times it's the advice when you go to the doctor is, okay, you're hurt. Stop running. <laughs> Especially for, I will, I will just give this one little tangent for women after they've had a baby okay, stop running. (laughs) And I think that there's a lot more we can do for runners because injuries are there, but it's not the end of running for you. And I know one of the things I've commented on before, and one of the reasons I started one of the podcasts, FitLab PGH, is you can appreciate this as a non-Pittsburgh native. Pittsburgh is very siloed or neighborhood-oriented. So if I tell somebody that there's a great running event or a great physical therapist who works with runners who's up by North Park and we're here down in Bethel Park, probably 60 to 70% of the people that I say that to, their eyes are gonna roll and they say, I'm not gonna go over a bridge or I'm not gonna go through a tunnel. I think the other thing about Pittsburgh is there are pockets of people that are, are quite active and I think the Pittsburgh Marathon, which came back after not being here for a few years has shown that there's huge numbers. They grow each year. They've added the half marathon, the 10K, the children's run. But by and large, if you look at across the spectrum, say in Pittsburgh versus where you grew up in Florida, I think you hit on the point. There's fewer people who take movement and athletics as, oh, that's the way it should be. It's improving. Mm -hmm. But I think people like you are very important. So people recognize that, hey, if you're gonna run, whether it's a 5K, whether it's a marathon, you're probably going to get hurt at some point. Yes. And that's not necessarily something to be afraid of. You know, I, I, one of my favorite things to say to people is, hey, pain is part of life. You know, sometimes you go to bed and you wake up in the morning, your neck hurts. Do you stop going to bed? No, you just learn to manage and you learn to keep moving and get through it. And the same for runners. If you really enjoy running and you know, hey, there's sometimes injuries, but you can do things to manage that. And you can, and just because there's an injury doesn't mean that's the end of your career. And it also doesn't mean you have to sit on the couch for three weeks and then start running again. There's a process you can go through to get you back there faster. And I know we were talking before we started recording. One of the things that's really important, whether you're a physical therapist working with runners or whether you're somebody who wants to be active, maybe it's just you want to walk a 10K, is having people all along the medical spectrum who recognize that movement is natural, movement is normal. And I'm curious, as a physical therapist who's been practicing, we won't say how many years, have you seen uh, some physicians in the past who refer somebody to physical therapy who also say, don't let them run anymore? Yes, I see that a a lot. There's, 
this underlying that hey running is bad for you running's gonna hurt your knees running's gonna you know for uh, pelvic floor issues that you, you can't come back from that running's just gonna make it worse um, I think that the, there's still this trying to control people and say like you know you, you can't do this you can't do this and I think that's wrong um, I was just reading um, it, this morning about a study that showed that we have more arthritis now as a sedentary society than we did as a you know a working society so the thought of hey work is really beating us up and work is you know running is causing arthritis and running is wrong but yet it's still a commonly held notion and it is being pushed off by a lot of doctors not all there's good ones and there's bad ones like we said in every field I won't even say good and bad there's just different beliefs um, but there are doctors who still believe that running is bad and at a certain age or a certain point in your life, you just can't do it anymore. Or if we see something on a scan, you know, like you know, meniscus tear, that's it, you're done. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I will say it's coming around. I think that more and more it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's practiced in multiple states, do you see it's basically across the states? Do you see that it's more common in Pittsburgh to have people say, don't move, or just uh, kind of the longer you're in practice, the less you see it? Um, I think it's hard to compare to Florida because my population was so active. Um, so I, the doctors that I were working with were working with athletes they weren't going to tell them to stop moving. So I can't compare to there. From Maryland to Pittsburgh, I think it's the same. I mean, Baltimore and Pittsburgh are similar cities. Um, but yeah, you saw the same, the same, the same attitude, the same fear of movement, the fear avoidance patterns. Um, they're prevalent. And I would, I would venture to say that it's prevalent in Florida too. It just wasn't the population I was working with. I'm always curious when I talk to people in the medical profession who make the decision to do something that isn't the status quo or normal. And if you look at FitLab Pittsburgh and moving to live, it's not by choice. It's just kind of, a, I interview people who are interesting. We've interviewed a variety of medical professionals who are doing things a little bit different than the traditional medical model. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you're currently working in a clinic, which is a common path for an outpatient physical therapist. And I know that you're making plans to leave and go out on your own. Can you talk a little bit about what facilitated that or what the impetus for that was? Um, I think what's facilitated it is how much I've learned over the last few years and with the change in theory over the last few years. When we've started to look at education of the patient or the athlete as, as almost important or even more important than the actual exercise you're choosing and and how much understanding of what pain is, what injury is, what movement is, and how to put movement in our day-to-day life is important and how hard it is to do that in the clinic when you are just bound by time restraints and, um, you know, bound by so many other barriers. So it started to become frustrating trying to keep that on track, trying to keep you know, teach and let them go instead of keeping them coming back. Um, And so I just felt like there was a better way and a better way to get the information out there to more people and to get people moving and get them moving earlier. Because there are studies that show if we can get to people quicker and get them moving, get them in PT or get them exercising before they have that MRI scan or before they have get to the doctor, we can actually save a lot of money and time. Um, So I felt with a telehealth platform, um, 
I could get to people faster in a more convenient way. Um, and I'd have that one-on-one time. You know, it's just me and them. There's I can't have three computers going at the same time, so it's me and them. So I can I can focus on the education and teach them what to do and do all of those things without all those barriers. And so that's what kind of pushed me over the over the hump. And I'll kind of throw you a softball here. Mm-hmm. Having gone to physical therapy and worked in a physical therapy clinic, you hit on education, which I don't think anybody will disagree mm-hmm. is a bad thing. But don't they get the education in a PT clinic when you spend your 20 or 25 minutes with them and then you give them the printed handout sheet that they go home with? <laughs> well, so the education is definitely more than the exercise. Right? The education The exercises are very, very, very important and teaching them to exercise, but the why they're doing the exercise is what's missing in the clinic. Why are you doing it? When do you do it? When is it okay to keep doing your exercise even though it hurts a little bit? When do you need to back off? What should you do if you have a flare-up? All of that, that is what makes it effective. If I just tell you to do, here, here's your four exercises, you go do them once a day, it's not going to work. You know, you have to know when to use them, why to use them, how to use them, and the understanding of like, hey, this might hurt a little when I do it, but but it's I'm not doing damage. Why it's, and when I should stop? When and I think that's really the crux of it. And you can't get that in 20 minutes, and um, and teach exercises and and I just think it's it's and if the therapist is with three to four other patients at the same time, it's just not possible. It's not happening. And you mentioned your business is going to be telehealth. If you, for people who are listening, they may not understand what telehealth is or know exactly what it is. What exactly is telehealth? Um, well, telehealth is basically online physical therapy. Or, I mean, uh, there's online any kind of health. Doctors are doing it. But it's basically through a webcam. So you would sign up. Uh, you could schedule online for an appointment, and then we go on the webcam, and we can do pretty much everything we do in the clinic, um, minus any manual therapy, which I don't think is is an issue. Um, and we can look at you online and then come up with a plan online um, to just as you would do in the clinic with a, with a therapist right there. And I know one of the things that we haven't touched on, but I know what allows this to happen, at least in Pennsylvania, is with physical therapy, there are some physical therapists who have something that's called direct access. Mm-hmm. If you can kind of talk about that and how that allows you to do telehealth in Pennsylvania. Sure. Direct access is, we have it now in all 50 states in some way, shape, or form, um, but it is the right to go straight to a physical therapist. You don't have to go to a primary care or have a prescription, which a lot of people still believe that they need a referral for physical therapy. In Pennsylvania, we have it for 30 days if, if the practitioner is a direct access pr- provider. So we have a second license, which I have, that allows me to see um, patients without that referral. After 30 days, all we need is for the doctor to sign off on our note, which they almost always do, and that gives us up to another three months. And at that point, if we need more, we can sign off again, which there's no reason why we should need that much therapy, but that would be the theory, you know, if we had to. Um, so for most people, there's never a need to see a doctor. Um, you know, unless something is off. And that's, we are trained with our direct access license to say, okay, this is, is a red flag. We need to see the doctor, you know? And so you can, it's, it's easier to get into a PT than it is a doctor. So it's a great place to start because they can tell you, they can get you going on exercise right away. And then they can also tell you, hey, I think you do need to go get this MRI or you do need to see the doctor. And that's the rarity, but sometimes it is. But most times you can just need PT. And I'm curious, people are going to want to know with uh, direct access, does insurance cover that or does insurance not cover that? So for direct access for physical therapy, 
in a clinic, yes, it is covered. Um, in telehealth, is not covered for physical therapy yet. There's no codes to bill for it, so it's not um, able to be billed, at least here in Pennsylvania, yet. Um, I think it's coming. Um, there's a compact to start having uh, PT providers be able to treat across state lines. Pennsylvania is not in that compact yet, so I can only treat patients in Pennsylvania. Um, but it is not covered by insurance. That being said, I think that with copays being as high as they are um, and the amount of times that you need to go to physical therapy in the old model, you know, oftentimes 12 to 15 visits versus the hope is just a few visits. Um, Sometimes some people can go just get one and do fine and then just kind of check in via email. The costs oftentimes will be about the same or even less, um, but it's not officially covered by insurance. So also, if you have an HSA, they, they should reimburse for it because um, you can pay for a health you know, PT that way. Um, but the actual insurance, no. I know I have flexible medical spending and I have mm-hmm. used it uh, for a chiropractor who is direct access mm-hmm. and does that sort of thing. And I think one of the things or a couple of the things that you hit on that's pretty important is, first of all, for many people, maybe they're out running in South Park and they twist an ankle and they're limping around over the weekend and the first thing they do, or maybe they don't limp around over the weekend, they go to like a MedExpress. Nothing against MedExpress. I think mm-hmm. they do a great job. I've, they've done well by me. But they go to MedExpress, and MedExpress says, well, you need to get an x-ray. Mm-hmm. So they get an x-ray. And then the x-ray, if they go to whatever the hospital is, I happen to like St. Clair Hospital. There's a plug for them if they want to give me free services. <laughs> you know, and the St. Clair Hospital, the... Uh, the radiologist reads it and says, well, you should follow up with an orthopedic. Mm-hmm. And the orthopedic looks at it and goes, well, there's no break. You need physical therapy. And as you mentioned, given the time frame of how all of this happens, it could be a week, 10 days, worst case scenario, two weeks mm-hmm. before they actually show up at the physical therapist. And by that time, if it's an ankle sprain, the ankle is probably has lots of swelling or effusion. Mm-hmm they're already changed the way they walk because they've been gimping around because it hurts. Mm -hmm. Whereas with telehealth, especially, um, we wouldn't tell you to message Kelly at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, Mm -hmm. but it would be something on a Sunday you could message her and potentially have a response or an appointment on a Monday or a Tuesday Mm -hmm. if you were a previous previous patient, maybe even sooner. Yes. And, And I mean, I know I had a situation where I had the good fortune to improve the range of motion of my spine by doing some kayaking, which corresponded with some pretty severe muscle spasms. Mm-hmm. And I had a previous relationship with a uh, chiropractor who uses exercise, and I was able to text him and say, hey, do you have any openings? And he was able to get me in in a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious with this, how do you get the word out with this? Because I think for anybody who takes movement as a priority in their life, as we say at FitLab Pittsburgh, movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Whether you're a runner, whether you're somebody who, you know, getting out in the garden and doing gardening, how do you get the word out about telehealth to say, hey, if you've got an injury, if you're in this area, we can do something to help you? Well, it's, it's a long process that I'm just starting on, um, and I'm trying to explore all the avenues. I mean, doing this podcast, I hope we'll get the word out a little bit. Um, I am trying to get out, work with uh, getting out to the races and being there um, just as, as a, hey, I'm here, ask me questions so that people can see, you know, 
what PT is and what telehealth is and how I can help them. Um, and so same with in the gyms. I've been known to sit in a gym before and just do injury screens where I'm just sitting there. It's kind of like, you know, ask the doctor or ask the PT, you know, come on up, tell me about your, tell me about your problem and I'll, I'll help you kind of get some solutions and figure it out. And that starts to build people to realize like, hey, there's a, a way to handle this that isn't medicine and isn't x-rays and isn't MRIs and isn't taking weeks off of an injury. Um, and, and I'm also going about it, uh, a whole new venture for me is online stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm not the most tech savvy person, so this is a process for me, but I'm starting to put blogs out and share more on social media. Um, I, I have been following awesome therapists and strength and conditioning specialists and doctors and journals for years and that's where I've learned and then I, I've taken their courses and there is just so much content out there so I'm trying to share their stuff and put my own out now that I learned so that people can find me that way um, but I think mostly it's it's going to be me getting in front of Pittsburgh and it's you know at the races um, and and I hope with that too with the you know just sitting in a gym and injury screens one of the things you touched on with the ankle is if we can I want people to kind of throw out that whole rest ice compression elevation thing you know I just don't always think it's the best way obviously if something's really really hurt we need to protect it but after that we actually want to get moving as quick as we can and as fast as we can so for in your ankle example somebody limping around for a month you know while they're getting this that sets us way back you know but if I can get them walking you know two days after their ankle injury and they're walking I have much less ground to cover to get them back to the race they want to get to um so that's another thing that I I'm hoping that I can instill in people when I'm you know in in a gym and somebody like literally just hurts themselves they can get to me right there so that's that's kind of I hope that answered your question I know when I was working as an athletic trainer when you worked with more experienced athletes it was very easy for them to identify pain Mm -hmm. versus discomfort right and I know one of the great things about running is you can start it at any age. And I know one of the things with movement is a lot of people, you know, they may hit 25, 30, 35. Maybe they have a child. Maybe they recognize I've gained some weight from high school. Modify my diet. I also need to take movement on. Um, mm-hmm. I know we had the good fortune to interview the lady who was just named uh, head of Venture Outdoors. And she went from a cigarette smoker and junk food addict to now she's a hardcore runner. Wow. And she said, you know, I just can't imagine not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. So for somebody who comes or somebody that you work with educating, and I mean, gyms are the great way to do this. How do you explain to somebody the difference between discomfort, pain, which sometimes is normal, and bad pain or bad hurt? Um, I give I give a set of rules for for my all my patients, and and I think the importance of the rules too is it gives them some control because if you just tell somebody to exercise through pain, they think you're crazy and walk out of your out of your clinic. Um, so I try to explain that you know when we the number one thing I want people to know is pain doesn't equal tissue damage. So just because you have pain does not mean you damage anything. Pain is just our nervous system trying to protect us. It's a, it's a response to, to threat or potential threat. So pain can be from stress. It can be from, it's, it's usually a combination of a lot of things. So just because we have pain, it's not damage. You know, it's not necessarily damage and most likely it's not damage. But for those few times that it is damage, how do we know? And I usually say, you know, if you, you wake up in the morning, you have a little bit of, of pain, maybe it's a two out of 10 and you move and it goes to an eight out of 10. But when you stop, when you stop, it comes back to a two or even better. 
Well, that's just your nervous system adjusting to that pain. It's trying to figure out, hey, is this okay for me to move? Is it safe? And, and you're okay to do that. Um, if that pain stays elevated more than 10, 15, 20 minutes, um, then then maybe something's going on. You know, and it, still at that point, we can't be sure that that there's um, you know any damage, but we just know that something else might be going on. So it's more that the pain lasts longer instead of like you feel it and then it calms down. You feel it and it calms down. Um, you know, if the pain ever goes away, it means it can go away. We're just not doing the right stuff to make it go away. So it's more the constant pain. Um, specifically for runners, I tell them, hey, if you're having a little bit of pain, but you can run and not change your stride you can keep running and the pain should kind of tone down by the next day it's you know and so same for a big workout if you have a big workout and after the general workout you're sore not not necessarily muscle soreness but you know just pain any kind of pain like your pain that you're usually feeling if by the next day it's back to baseline you didn't do any damage that's just your body adjusting to load and that's what it needs it needs to learn that those loads are safe and that you can tolerate them so that it can tolerate the load of life. But what we tend to do is, okay, I did this workout, it hurts, so I'm gonna rest, I'm not gonna do anything. And then what we're telling our nervous system is, hey, that was too much, we can't tolerate that, keep sending that pain for that activity. Um, And so I think if we can kind of teach people to move the next day instead of taking a day off or move through a little bit of discomfort with those rules, um, we'll find that most people are in that in that zone of the safe and the few that it lasts well then that's when we go on and we do more tests and figure out what's going on and i know one of the things when you're educating people on that there's the intellectual of you standing there or sitting there telling me this Mm -hmm. and then there's the psychological on my aspect i know in my case i've had the good fortune or bad fortune to have a couple of disc herniations Mm -hmm. i've got some arthritis in my back Mm -hmm. and i know that if i do a lot of sitting if i travel if I spend a lot of time sitting at my computer, which is why I use a standing desk, I'm going to have some soreness. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for me to learn, and it took me five or six years, is when I'm sore, to sy- synonym for pain, it's not I don't want to stop moving. I want to force myself to, to move. move. And when I do that, inevitably, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Educationally, I knew that. I would tell when I worked as an athletic trainer, working as a personal trainer, I would tell my clients this psychologically for me to take my own advice. And I think people have a tendency to forget that, especially clinicians that look, you can say, um, this is what it is, but you have to find out the right way to say it. Mm-hmm. So I think the main thing is to actually do it and reinforce it. So what, what we do is I, first we do an exercise. If the patient says it hurts, I stop immediately. And I say, okay, does it walk off? Does it feel better? Does it stop when you stop? And then we talk about it. Again, the number one thing I do is the patient has control. The patient, I always said, one one other rule I didn't give them, and I think this is really important, is that that jump in pain has to be acceptable to them, okay? Because if it's not acceptable, they won't do it. You know, if it hurts, they won't do it. So I, I just let them see it. Like, okay, we did this exercise. It hurt a little bit. We walked it off. Do you feel better, worse, same? A lot of times I I make it those three choices, better, worse, same, because sometimes you just need to simplify it. Like it's either better, it's either worse, and same can be an option. And I think one of the things that's important to emphasize there that you did is you're not giving them a closed-ended question. You're not saying, does that hurt worse? Right, yes. It's, it's, they have to pick one. And, 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 and I'm okay with same. Same can be okay, you know. Um, but giving them the chance to walk it off, it kind of reinforces it. The other thing that I do that I think is probably what's changed my uh, treatment strategy more than anything is exercise throughout the day. So I 
the whole idea of, I think, you know, we are sitting at desks, sitting at computers for most of the day. And then we ask our bodies, especially for athletes, but anybody really, we then ask our bodies to go home and run, you know, and there's not a transition there. Um, and, you know, I don't think sitting is bad for us. I think sitting for a long time is bad for us. I don't think sitting slumped is bad for us. I think sitting slumped for a long time is bad for us. So I try to teach my patients strategies um, there's my favorite word strategy um, throughout the day to kind of add movement into the day. So I say, you know, like let's set alarms and have you stand up at your desk every 10 or 15 minutes. But I give them exercises that they can do throughout the day. And I explain it to them like this, that, you know, if you and I were both to take a medication, we would have a dose and our dose might be different. Well, their dose of exercise is their personal dose and that's their job to figure out how much they need. And on certain days they need more or less, but I have to start somewhere. So I usually maybe say, let's start with 10 an hour on this exercise that makes you feel better. And the idea is getting them thinking about moving throughout the day and, and adding movement in at work and it's just simple movements and they're movements they can do anywhere it takes 30 seconds but the idea is to just see it and when I think when you add it in that way and you give them the chance to say to see how they feel better after movement it starts to solidify it and it starts to give them control and when they come back to me and they say you know hey I flared up this time and I say okay what'd you do you know and we talk about what'd you do what you didn't do what you could have done Again, that's all reinforcing. It's their plan to see like how the movement made them feel better. I think a lot of times people, when people feel better and they're moving, they don't put it together, you know. And so I think when you kind of come back and say, okay, let's talk about what you did to make it feel better, what you did when it hurt, what you didn't do, and you can start connecting the dots. That they actually start to see, I'm hurting more when I'm sitting still, and they and it's a process, and it's a process, but it it, it can be learned. It just has to be reinforced, and they have to get to it in their own way on their own time, you know. And I like the earlier you said on the importance of education, and I think you kind of hit on something with runners. One of the things when people start running, the common question that anybody asks them is, so have you run a marathon? Yes. And some people run marathons, some people don't run marathons. If you can kind of talk when you educate runners, you know, how do they decide when they're ready to start training for a marathon versus somebody who maybe is like, you know, this might not be the right event for you to do, or you might be somebody, I would be one of those, who's better off running on soft surfaces on trails if you want to do right. those longer runs. I mean, I think it's all about the progression. So, I mean, to be honest, I, I want people to be able to run, I mean, excuse me, walk for 60 minutes briskly before they start running. I mean, it's just about getting your body to tolerate the load of, that you're asking to do. And then from there, you should build up and progress to running. And so I, I don't think anybody should ever go from not walking or just like, hey, I'm going to join this run club to running a marathon. I think there should be a couple 5Ks under your belt, whether you do them in a race or you do them on your own. But it should be getting that because it's all about getting your tissues. The bones have to support the load. The tendons and, and uh, muscles have to be able to kind of absorb energy and get used to that. Um, and then I think some other things are, are we strength training? And I'm not saying that we have to go and do Olympic lifts, but we should be putting load through our body to to handle it. And so are you able to run, give the time it takes to run and also give the time it takes to do the strength and mobility drills that go along to keep you safe. Um, and some people just can't dedicate the time to both. And I think if it's dangerous to, to be running marathons and not having any kind of, um, program to help, um, and dangerous is a rough word. I mean, you're just more likely to get injured. Um, 
And so I think that that needs to be. And I also think that I, so if I was had a runner coming to me or somebody coming to me to try to decide if they were able to run, I have a series of movements and exercises I take them through to show me whether or not their body is able to tolerate the, the impact load, whether they can tolerate the force generating loads. Um, and I would, if somebody couldn't perform those tests, again, I wouldn't necessarily tell them that they couldn't run, but that would be something that we put in their program. Um, and we try to to get them better at that. And so as I see those things improve, then the run tolerance should be able to improve and they can progress to the marathon, but that's time. So it's all, it goes back to what they want to put in and what they want to get out of it. Um, and then also we can also do a running analysis, you know, and, and look at, I don't always change somebody's running form. Cause I think that can be dangerous. If you just take somebody and be like, Hey, put your change this foot strike. Cause they're striking like that for a reason. And if you just change it without knowing why, but I do think looking at videoing somebody run and slowing it down can give you some hints to their weak spots and see what they can tolerate. So again, I would look at that and decide, Hey, this is, you know, you need to, you need some more work before you're running these long distances or else you're going to be predisposed to injuries. Um, so it all looks at the whole complete package and what they're willing to put in, what they want to work at it, what their goals are, are also taken into account. I like the fact that you mentioned the strength training and the fact that some people may say they don't have enough time. I think it's the sort of thing that almost every person should have a suspension trainer that they can put in their door mm -hmm. or they can put in the tree outside. So really... Every time the commercial comes on for the Steelers game, oh, here's my set of yes. exercises that Kelly mm -hmm. gave me that I can do. And there's really not an excuse of saying, I don't have time to go to the gym. Yes, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm moving my clinic into my house and coming on a telehealth. I mean, we can do it anywhere. It doesn't, I think that's another big thing. You know, we, we see all these great types of exercise coming out. You know, I, I like CrossFit. I think it's great, but it doesn't have to be big. I mean, it, it's, you know, you can use a step, you can use a band, you can use a suspension trainer. It's really about getting your legs to tolerate the strength to be able to tolerate load. And there's lots and lots of ways to do that, that you can make work for anybody. Um, so it doesn't always have to be so, you know, hard to do. Um, but it, it's hard. Runners like running to be their fitness. So that's what they enjoy. That's what they want to do. Sometimes they just don't, you know, find the time um, to strength train. And I think that is an important thing. Like if you, the, if you want to push harder and maintain your running and not get injured, you'll find a way to get it in your day somehow. And I think the selling point for strength training for runners is this is what you do so you can do the things that you want to do, mm -hmm. i.e. run, rather than say, I can't run. I have to get on my computer and contact Kelly or another health professional mm -hmm. to do my rehab. Right. Yes. And I think if you, um, that's what I try to teach, you know, all of my patients as they leave me, you know. I, I tell them, hey, when you're flared up, I don't want you to contact me first. I want you to add your exercises back in. I want you to add your strength training. Give it a try on your own first because you can do it. You know, if you do what you, what I taught you to do, the hope is that you can do it. And then if after a week you can't or a few days you can't get there, then you call me. You know, I mean, I'm always available if they, if they want to just call me first. But I think that the goal is to teach patients to take control of their own injuries and say, okay, you know, I kind of fell off my exercises. I'm starting to feel some pain. Why don't I put them back in and get moving? And then if I still can't, then I'm going to give Kelly a call. One of the questions and one of the things you can see when you go around social media is there are all kinds of, and I'm doing this in air quotes, experts and you can make exercises look really really cool look really really stupid what are your thoughts of somebody who's a runner who's not injured coming to you and saying look i want a regular routine of 
whether you're calling it mobility, mm -hmm. prehab, whatever the magic term look, these are some things that I should be doing most days of the week mm -hmm. to prepare my body for running or whatever my activity is to counteract the effects of standing at a desk, sitting at a desk, sitting in a car. I mean, I think that's great. And I actually have that service listed on my website. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to the strength training. I think it's fun to have all these fun exercises out there and all this, you know, crazy stuff. But for, for most people, and, and if that motivates you, go for it. There's, I, I don't want to be the person that tells anybody not to do things. I want people doing things. But I think for, for most people, the old fashioned, let's squat a little bit, let's lunge a little bit, let's go up and down steps. Let's, you know, th that's all they need. Um, and so, and what that person specifically needs really depends on where their weakest parts are how they're moving to begin with so that's where we screen that's where the evaluation comes in you know not no two people move exactly the same we all have slightly different movement patterns and and there's no right or wrong they're just each movement pattern may predispose us to a certain you know stress in a certain area so i would look at that person and see where their weakest spots are and develop their strength training program for them I will say though, one of the things that I think tends to be missing for runners who are already doing strength training program is single leg exercises. Um, you know, we're doing lots of squats and things like that. Lunges are good too, because they're, the stance is more close to running, but really running, you spend a lot of time on one leg. So we need to train on one leg. And oftentimes what you'll see is one leg moves very different than the other. And so we need to work on that one leg that is. So um, yeah, that would be, I think getting a program before we get injured is great. And I like to call it injury reduction, not injury prevention, because we know we can't prevent every injury because injuries are so complex. But I think if we can get, if we can convince people to start before their season started, you know, strength training, especially in the off season, and then maintain it through their whole running season, um, that we would definitely see a reduction in injuries. We're talking with Kelly Kuhn. She is a physical therapist who's starting a telemed program. We're in the fall. There's a variety of running magazines out there. There's a variety of websites. And there's a new line of shoes that comes out every fall and every spring. If you're a runner who's not a physical therapist, who's not a strength coach, a personal trainer, who's familiar with this sort of thing, how do you figure out what kind of running shoes you should have? And what do you do if maybe your local shop doesn't have what you need? I know, for example, I'm a, I've said this before, I like ultras partially mm -hmm. because I like the way they fit my feet. I have yet to find a shoe that's wide enough in the forefoot for me other than those. Mm -hmm. So where does somebody who doesn't have the overeducation that I have go to find information as a starting point? So the truth about running shoes is nobody knows. <laughs> the research is so all over the place on running shoes. We know that you can, you know, one, I will tell you, we, we shouldn't be afraid of pronation. Everybody's afraid of pronation. We are trying to block pronation. If you block pronation, you're shifting forces. But for some people, you might. So, But there is some advice I give people with running shoes. And I have before gone into the shop with, with, with clients and said, let's let's look at the shoe. I mean, so I think first and foremost is, is that you want, I actually recommend having, for runners, three pairs of shoes, three different pairs of shoes. Because you... We want some variability. Our nervous system, which is really the, the driver behind pain, likes variability in our movement. So if you're doing everything the exact same way every single time you run, you're stressing the exact same things the same way and we're more likely to strain things. So just changing the shoes a little bit, rotating through those three shoes can help you know, reduce some of that a little bit. And should that be three pairs of the exact same model? No, three different shoes, three, three different, you know, they don't have to be drastically different, but a little different. Um, I... 
think that the most important thing is comfort. I mean, you, you have to be comfortable in the shoe. And, you know, I recently had uh, somebody who I was trying to get her to kind of change her shoes a little bit and she just wasn't comfortable in it. And so I went back because the psychology of it is if you, you mess with the runner psychology, you're going to mess with a lot of things. And I think that's true for a lot of athletes, but so they have to be on board and be comfortable. So if it's a certain brand they like, maybe I can find it something that's a little better in that brand. Um, I will tell patients, take the inner of your shoe out and stand on it. Does your foot overlap it? Is it actually big enough for you? You'd be surprised how many people come to my clinic and their foot is hanging over the shoes too small. Um, I think that at different times in different people's running careers, they may need a different type of shoe. So for example, I generally want people to be in a low heel lift, uh, heel drop, which is the amount, the heel to toe the the difference there um because too much can create take away the motion that we need to absorb the shock but if you have a race coming up in a few weeks and your um achilles tendon is hurting well we might need to put you in a heel a higher heel for that race to protect the achilles now what we're doing is we're shifting the load up to the knee um, and that's okay because right now your Achilles is the problem. So we are going to accept that load shift up to the knee and let you run through and get through that race. But then over time, I want your Achilles to be able to take that load again and get you back down to a heel lift. So there might be different times in your career where you need a different shoe. Um, and it just depends on the injury. But I think what the main thing I want people to know is that you're not taking away forces with the shoe. You're changing where the force is going. And we may at certain times with certain injuries want to change the shoe to get the load away, but we don't, or another example there with the heel drop is if you're, you know, a master runner, you know, a 50 year old runner and you've got careful, <laughs> but you're, we're maybe not going to get that motion back at that point versus an 18 year old who's going to get the motion back. So I may let you stay in that heel, heel shoe. Right. So, and I said master, that's a good term. That's, that means that's a good thing, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, so it has to be on the person. But I think one thing that, that runners should be open to is the fact that at different times in their life, their shoe might change, you know, and that's okay. Um, you know, you may, based on different injuries, have to, to change things. Um, I think overall, we need to get away from so much stability in a shoe and really strengthen our feet. I mean, a lot of people can't even lift their big toe up. That, that shows me that we're just so weak in the feet and we're trying to compensate with these really stiff shoes. I think overall, that would be general, but I, you have to take shoes on a case-by-case basis. But if you're in there on your own, number one, is it comfortable? Two, does it fit? Take the inner out. Can you stand over it? I would recommend a couple different pairs and I would run in them. You know, I would go to only buy from a place that lets you return them after they've been worn a little bit, like a 30 day. And can you run in them? Do they feel comfortable? Are you okay with it? Valuable tips from Kelly Kuhn. I'll tell you that uh, if you listen to FitLab PGH movement tip and lifestyle hack videos, you'll probably recognize a similarity to some of the videos we've done. It's nice to see that a medical professional backs up the movement tips and lifestyle hacks of people who just want people to move. Kelly, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to us and we will have extensive show notes with links to your website. If you're in Pennsylvania, you're looking for a physical therapist who maybe is associated with dealing with runners and people who are active and you want to give telemed a try, consider giving Kelly a try. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. 
Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.